Good morning everybody. It's good to be with you this morning and it's my privilege to speak to us again in the series of looking at what it means to be a church without walls and uh, looking at the example of Antioch. Robin began this last week and uh, I'm continuing that today. I wonder what you think about when you hear the words church without walls. Do you think of the roof caving in, of wind blowing because there's no walls to protect us, of no shelter being in place? Or do you think of open, accessible, inviting? (laughs) Are you a cup half full or a cup half empty kind of person? I've been in churches without walls, many of them in Africa or in India. These were literal buildings that had roofs and maybe pillars supporting the roof, but little else. Their climate perhaps made it okay to kind of begin in this way. But I remember on one occasion, in fact, with Robin uh, in India, when we went to this church, and it really was a church without walls, the only problem was that behind the stage where we were supposed to sit was this makeshift corrugated iron wall. The sun was beating down on this stinking hot day, probably over 30 degrees, and we sat in front of this corrugated iron, and it was like sitting in front of a radiator. I was sweltering. Within probably seconds, my back is dripping, and I knew if I stayed there for the whole service and even tried to get up to preach, I would be a soaking, soggy mess. It was uncomfortable. It was outside my comfort zone. I did not like it. And so I took the chicken's way out, went down to Bancha, which is Shanu's father, who's a member of this community, and said to Bancha, Bancha, I think I'll sit down here, away from that radiator, if I can. I hope that's not the church of without walls that we're talking about, or that you think of when we use these words. But, but maybe there's something from it we can learn. To become a church without walls will take us outside our comfort zone. It will be uncomfortable. It will be different. It will take some getting used to. And it may be that different aspects some of us are more used to and more feel more natural in than others. But we will all have to adjust to become this church without walls. Last week, as I say, Robin began looking at the church in Antioch. Antioch was this amazing, cosmopolitan, important city in that day. A multiracial city. And he spoke about how the church overcame its Uh, its biases, its prejudices to reach beyond the Judaistic confines in which this, uh, this, these followers of Christ had grown up and to say actually this gospel is for Gentiles also and so you had this Gentile church formed in this cosmopolitan city for the first time and they were a church that transformed society and Robin talked to us about that last week. This week I want to look at a further two attributes of a church without walls and see how these attributes were demonstrated by the church at Antioch and perhaps see areas from which we can learn. Let me begin by looking at Acts 13 verse 1 to 4. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they worshipped the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Sit apart from me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. So, after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The first attribute I want us to reflect on in this Antioch church is that they were a diverse church. Robin 
intimated that last week, but I want to pick it up in a little bit more detail. But let me begin by asking, what do we mean by diversity? Is it simply to have members from many different backgrounds and different races part of our community so that we can somehow tick a box of representation? Is that what it means to be diverse? Is it to find people who are different to us, not like us, different backgrounds, who are willing to become like us and adopt our culture? Is that what it means to be diverse? I want to suggest that it's something much more profound perhaps larger, probably somewhat more difficult, somewhat a little bit like feeling that radiator behind our backs, taking us outside of our comfort zone. Listen to this. Being a diverse church is creating a church culture in which whoever God brings to us and whoever he enables us to reach can thrive in our community. Now, thriving is about being all that God has made us to be, being accepted for who we are with the God-given passions and gifts and attributes and letting those attributes shape the wider community. Of course, as Hub Community Church, we have our culture and we could talk about that. And there is a sense in that when people become part of Hub Community Church, they imbibe something of our culture, but let it be written deeply in our souls, the sense that we change when people join us. This is a two-way street. People don't just imbibe our culture. We see them as God-given gifts to change us and to transform us and to use their talents and passions to enable us as a community to more effectively reflect who God is, his character, and to impact the society and the world in which we live. This is a two-way street and we want to, as effectively as we can, reflect the image of God which comes when we embrace those that we reach and that God brings to us. The Church Without Walls in Antioch was this kind of diverse church. It was diverse ethnically. There were Jews and Greeks in the community. We know that. We've rehearsed that. And they were known as Christians because no longer did they fit this sect of uh, followers of Jesus no longer fit, fitted within Judaism and so they had to go outside those bands and became known as Christians and yet it probably also suggests that they were like the one they were following in certain ways at least to be named after him Christ ones something fairly special about this community but this diversity well I love is expressed not only in the community but also in leadership now listen, I don't really like separating out leadership and the community or leadership and membership, but actually I think it points to something pretty profound going on in their community. That people from all backgrounds could fulfil leadership, influential roles in the wider community. It was not simply for a certain few or a certain segment of the community, who were certain culture and certain background, who would take the lead. But there was room for whomever the Spirit of God anointed to come into that place where they could flourish and thrive and contribute in leadership ways. We see in their leadership a multinational leadership. We see Barnabas, a Levite from Cyprus. We see Simeon called Niger, a black African. We see Lucius of Cyrene in North Africa. We see Menaean, a friend of Herod. So presumably a certain status if he was a companion of Herod's. And we see Paul, 
the young rising star. I find Paul's example incredibly challenging. We know many of us that he was previously known as Saul and when he was Saul he persecuted the followers of Christ because he was of the mindset that the only way to follow God was to follow the Jewish law and to live within the Jewish customs and practices and yet God had broken down through encounter this understanding and here was Paul now a man whose walls of prejudice had been pulled down and he saw that this gospel was for Gentiles also. He submitted to the revelation and the leading of the spirit and so was a, an individual whose walls had been torn down. This change affects Paul so radically that he would speak of the utter irrelevance of ethnicity, class and gender in Christ. He would write, and bear in mind he wrote a third of our New Testament, he would write, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. Somehow he wanted to say that in Christ those distinctions, that of course he wasn't doing away with distinctions in terms of culture and who people were, but saying they have no effect in terms of your place in the body of Christ. I think we've come a long way as churches, but I still think there's further to go in all those areas. We haven't arrived. We've made great strides, but more is needed. I love the way that we give and receive from different cultures and um, nations, whether that's going overseas, receiving people from overseas, working in our local communities across cultural um, boundaries or working into, with different nations. I, I love what we've done, but I feel like there's so much more that we need to do. Have we really learned to imbibe and embrace all that is good that God wants to bring to us from the different cultures and let it shape us in God. Now many of us have engaged in various ways with the Black Lives Matter emphasis over this last 12 months or so. And that's been great. But we as the church should be leading the way in creating a culture where all races come together. And celebrate the goodness of God. And thrive together and receive from one another. I had a conversation recently with a dear African friend of mine. And he and his wife wanted to support Helen and I, for which we're very, very grateful. And yet in my conversation with him, he was unsure whether he was stepping across cultural bounds in what he wanted to do in demonstrating and expressing his support for us. And of course, I appreciate his sensitivity, but I said to him, what would you do in Africa? And as he told me what he would do in Africa, I said, please be African. And we, Helen and I, have been the beneficiaries of this this couple supporting us and showing us love and care because they were able to find space to be who they are in our community and we love them deeply. Similarly, do we have an expectation that we must be from a certain social background or educational background in order to really engage in our church life? Or do we cater for people across the social spectrum? Do we all have to be times readers, financial times readers to engage? Or, or could we not be a reader at all? Could we simply be a media follower or watcher? Do we have room for, forgive me, <laughs> James Reese Mogg and Del Boy in the same community? Or have we only got to be of one type? And what about the place of women in our community? 
I do feel we've done much to make room over the years for women to influence and lead us and shape us, but have we gone far enough? Is there a false ceiling that we need to bring down? From my reading of Paul and my wider study of Scripture, I am convinced there should be no differentiation of role in the church according to race, according to status or according to gender. In Paul's day, that could mean that someone like Onesimus, the slave, could be your church leader. Or Phoebe could be the leader of a, of a community in which you were part. Or someone from a different cultural background could take the lead in the, ch- in the church. I believe our role as the body of Christ is simply to recognise the anointing of God and make room for that anointing in whatever ways and upon whomever it is manifest. And nowhere, nowhere do I see the gifts and graces of the Spirit determined according to race, status or gender. It just isn't there. That may be uncomfortable for us, but if we want all people to thrive, maybe that's an uncomfortable place that some of us need to step into and make room for and start to recognise God can call and anoint anyone and brings these gifts to us to bless the whole community. So they were diverse ethnically, they were also diverse in gifting, there were at least prophets and teachers there, but presumably also evangelists in terms of they were effective at their mission work and also financial givers. We know as we read about the Antioch church how they took an offering to support the church in Jerusalem who was struggling financially because of the famine. And so it suggests there's room for a variety of gifts, not just my gift or your gift. And we want to be a community where there's room for that, where we celebrate all kinds of gifts that God brings into our midst. Of late, of course, we've done our best to honour. Forgive us if we've not done it well enough, but we've tried to say thank you to all those who have stepped forward who have technical gifts and broadcasting gifts and musical gifts that have led us through this pandemic period and enabled us to broadcast and at least gather around the computer or the phone or whatever uh, when we can't gather physically. We're so appreciative of all that work. But in our community, there were also community builders. There were those of you gifted in hospitality. There were those with administration gifts. There are those who just like to come alongside and serve. There are all kinds of gifts. There are those who are creative with words and those who are creative with images and musical gifts. And we want to celebrate all, don't we? We want whoever is part of our community to thrive and become more and more who God has made them to be. And this community in Antioch was also diverse in its welcome. I say that because if the community is made up of Jew and Greek and all kinds of nationalities, then presumably each nationality found a place of welcome when they came to that church. But also I would suggest it means that the community itself was a welcoming community. That somehow, and this is a challenge to us, it wasn't left to the welcome team. And, you know, I love our welcome team in Hub Community Church. I love uh, all that they demonstrate all that they've um, all that they point prophetically to about us being a, a welcoming community hey listen if you've been part of that team thank you we honor you we appreciate all you've done but you know we don't have a welcome team so that the rest of us can abdicate we have a welcome team to point prophetically to ensure we do welcome people who come into our midst but actually we want a culture of welcome in which all of us take our place that maybe we 
hit the discomfort of the radiator again, the heat on our back that makes me get out of my seat and walk across the room to someone who I perhaps don't recognise. And maybe I open with, do you know what, maybe you've been part of this community for a while and we've just not met. Can I introduce myself? How are you? Who are you? What, what are you about? Talk to me. Or maybe it's someone we know is a visitor and we, we kind of gird ourselves up and get the courage to make them welcome. We want to be a welcome community, don't we? That all will find a place. We don't want to just stick within our own friendship groups and people we know, but somehow God, by your spirit, help us to face the discomfort and go and welcome and speak to others. So they were a diverse church. That was one of their attributes. The second attribute I want to look at is that they were a church on mission. Now, Robin talked about them being a church on mission locally and how they were effective in uh, seeing this church come about in Antioch. I want to think more about nationally and internationally. The church in Antioch had a worldwide vision. They prioritised those who do not yet know Christ. They weren't in this attitude or mentality of, well, we're all right because we're already in, so thanks a lot. Actually, they understood the world, the earth is God's, and they understood that the whole world needs reaching. And so that meant for them that they were prepared to obey the Spirit and release their best to this task of mission. Barnabas, who was the first to come from Jerusalem to inspect this church in Antioch, he was the one who actually went and got Paul and brought Paul down. And they, for at least a year, spent time teaching this church in Antioch. And so they were very much part of the fabric of what was going on there. And yet, as they prayed and fasted, they were prepared to release Paul and Barnabas for further pioneering work that would take them away for significant periods of time. Their generosity that had been expressed in finance with gathering money for the church in Jerusalem was now being expressed in terms of releasing people to the work of mission to which God had called them. And so this church becomes a base for worldwide mission. Paul and Barnabas, it says, were sent. You know, that word sent involved prayer, it involved fasting, it involved the laying on of hands, and that laying on of hands is symbolic of imparting something of the life and anointing of the Spirit. This sent, being sent, wasn't the church in Antioch saying, go on, you go and do your stuff, have a good time, yeah, we'll just get on back here. Actually, they were invested in, they were praying for, presumably they kept praying for whilst they were on mission. They were involved, yes, they didn't all go, but they all participated in some way in this church being a base. It wasn't just simply a release, go and do your thing, but actually it was much more active participation and we know in chapter 14 of Acts that when Paul and Barnabas come back what do they do they come back and report to the church all that God has done and so they maintain that church involvement they affirm Antioch as a base two weeks ago at the beginning of the year Robin mentioned the offering that we took for our overseas missionaries uh, Katie and Patty, and also for some of the pastors in India and Brazil. And hey, he thanked you, and I want to thank you again. What generous hearted people you are. We are so thrilled. That reflects something of our heart for the nations, and it's wonderful to bless these people in need. Absolutely brilliant. But you know, there may also come a time when we need to release more people. When actually we need to release people to overseas mission, but also maybe to places in this nation that God wants us involved in reaching, that are beyond our locality. At this very moment, we're in conversation with a couple in 
uh, Newquay in Cornwall who are looking to plant a new community amongst the surfers. Uh, who wants that? Maybe someone, some of you want to go and join this new plant and reach out to the surfing community. But it's very exciting as we pray and discuss and think about what God might want to do. But there may be other places. Where, what's, where's on your heart? Is there a place that you're thinking of moving to that maybe God wants us to plant something and do something new there and wants to release us into that kind of mission even within the nation? I don't know. But releasing people can be painful and it's costly. But what it does is it opens up space for others in the home base and allows us to partner with God in his mission. So do we want to be a church without walls? I hope we do. A church that sees society transformed. A church that is diverse in its welcome, in its makeup, in its leadership. A church in which people from whatever background, whatever strata of society, whatever culture, whatever nation, whatever gender, can find a place to flourish and be all that God has called them to be. A place where people can find their gifts and attributes are received and influence the community of which they are a part. We want to be that kind of community, don't we? A community that also takes seriously the mission of God, both here, locally, further afield in our nation and in the nations of the world. I trust that as you've listened to this message today and as Robin spoke last week and, and of course over the months, that the Holy Spirit is highlighting within you ways in which he wants you to step out of your comfort zone. Ways in which he wants you to go across bridges that perhaps you wouldn't have gone across before. That together we can continue to demonstrate, and more so, what it means to be the people of God. What it means to look like God. To show the character of God and to reach people both near and far with this wonderful gospel that has transformed our lives. I trust that the Holy Spirit will help us become this church without walls that he's calling us to be. God bless you. Really do welcome, actually, any feedback or thoughts. You can Facebook or message uh, of how you're responding to this Church Without Walls message. But God bless you.